0: Well, good morning. So happy to see you in here, and thanks for joining us out in the parking lot. Happy to see you guys just a few minutes ago, and if you're online, really, really happy to have you. Say hello in the, the chat box, the comments, let us know how we can serve you. And so um, you just heard about the Adult Softball League. Let me just go ahead and tell you, we just finished up the Adult Basketball League, and the Christian Life Center won the entire thing, so there is now an expectation that we play well, and so for those of you who are wondering, we did just finish up the the— Trophy, the balls in my office. We have one from 2018, then we have one from 2021. Hooray, but if you're interested in softball, let me tell you something real quick. Uh, today, right after I get through preaching, so about 1 p.m. today, we're going to have some folks out there playing softball, right? So if you're interested in playing, not sure if you want to play, but want to you know figure that out. you can run home right after the service, go grab a glove and come back. We'll be here for a little while. This is going to be my first year of playing softball with the team. Very, very excited. So I've had little ones and being away during the nighttime is complicated and so now that they get older they can come with me. So gonna play and they're double headers. So it's just one night a week. We're gonna be playing games. So come join us. The reason I think you should join us is actually because of the series that we're in, which is called I'm In. Okay. And so here's the kind of the premise of the entire series, right? There's this idea that the way by which we really, really experience life and we can go all the way back to the beginning where Uh, God makes his first declaration of a negative thing. He says it's not good for humankind to be alone. And so he created community, Adam, then Eve, right? And so when we think about that, we just, we believe wholeheartedly that the way that life is best experienced, in fact, the only way you really can experience it, by the way, is in community. And so if you imagine it this way, this whole series is kind of looking at, uh, a campfire, You know, if you imagine a campfire, you need to put it out when you leave or whatever it is. What you do is you grab a stick, grab a poker, or whatever it is, and you take all the, 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 the embers, all the, the coals that are burning, and what you do is you just kind of separate them, right? If you kind of spread them out, not keep them all together, uh, the fire burns out a little quicker and the fire burns a, a lot cooler, right? And so you separate things to let the, fame, uh, the flame fan out, got it? So, as you think about the last year, year and a half, our church, our world, we have spent a lot of time being separated, split up, and it's just time to go, the kingdom works best when we're in this together, so you've got some decisions to make, right? If we're really going to live in and experience the kingdom of God, the way that we do it is we go, I'm in, right? And we find community, so we're going to challenge you over the next several weeks to find some community. You can do it. We can help because that's where the flame really burns hot. So if you feel like you've kind of just flamed out, then let us help you, right? Let's lean in, so that's part of it. And as we think about that, it actually kind of leads me to um, a quick announcement I want to make. And so um, our church is complicated in that we live in the messy middle, which I love, by the way, right? So I I told you literally almost a year ago, that as we look at this pandemic we have a lot of people in a lot of different categories for a lot of different reasons right and so the the words that we've been using or the colors we've been using is the red yellow green kind of concept you know red means stop yellow means caution or if you're like me it means hurry up right and then green means go and for a year now many of you have uh, kind of established how you're doing life and some of you are going hey I'm immunocompromised. I'm connected with some folks that this this Uh, pandemic this virus could really really do some damage and you have rightfully gone I'm going to stay in shelter in place and you should and there's no judgment here's the crazy thing you're an adult and you get to make those decisions on your own right and so the problem for us not really problem really need is that um that we have a lot of people in that category then we have a lot of other people that are uh in the 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 cautious category right like hey you want to get about your life you're trying to figure out a way to engage and yet you're going "Ah, i just want to be careful here i want to make sure i'm socially distant i'm washing my hands all the time my hands are all cracked i'm doing all the right things but i don't want to just stay in place more and guess what you're allowed to be there you know why because you're an adult and you get to make those decisions on behalf of yourself right and then many of us on and, and are kind of in the the green category maybe it's because you got your shot or your second shot or maybe you've already had COVID or you're going look I have I've counted the cost and I'm just ready to get moving right I'm ready to get back into life I'm I have a hard time having our kids stay in our home and guess what you're allowed to be there you know why because you're an adult and you get to make those decisions right and so we live in a church that kind of just covers the whole spectrum of the red yellow green And let me tell you that's that's a good thing right because we don't want to live in our own echo chambers in our own vacuums where the same news comes at us and you spend three hours a day hearing pundits opinions about what you should think right? It's actually really good to be a part of a diverse community. In fact, Ephesians 4, you can go listen to this long vision video. So, you know, bring you a Lunchable if you're going to listen. 40 minutes. We looked at Ephesians 4 on Thursday night and kind of looked at this whole beautiful idea of how God decided he would grow up as people. And the way by which he grows us up to become adults, right? As he takes a diverse group of people and he goes, hey, it's just one church. It's just one life. It's just one baptism. There's just one Savior. There's just one Spirit. There's just one faith. There's just one hope, right? There's just one God. And he goes, hey, all of us get to lean into that. But then something interesting, then he starts to describe the different gifts he gave us. He calls them apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. And he tells us he gave us those gifts, that's you and I, to equip the saints, That all of us, to go and do the work of ministry. In other words, there's actually this diverse group of people And he tells us as we we take diversity and we lean in together, what ends up happening is we become unified. This is so important. You cannot be unified with sameness. Unity doesn't come from sameness, guys. It's just sameness. It's just redundancy. There's no need for it. That's why God so beautifully, typically pairs marriages on opposite ends of the spectrum, right? Because unity doesn't come from sameness. It comes from diversity. So you take a diverse group of people and you allow them to lean in, I'm in together, And out of that, there becomes this unity. You read it in Ephesians 4. And guess what happens as a result of unity? Maturity, right? The purpose of your marriage wasn't to make you happy. You know that. The purpose, this is Rick Warren, the purpose of your marriage was to make you holy. There's nothing that reveals our selfishness and our brokenness quite like marriage. So those of you who have leaned in and you're past the first decade, past the first 15 years, boy is it glorious that's where i am right now and it's going oh my goodness this is such a beautiful way that god has taken two very diverse people put them together for the sake of unity for the sake of maturity so the red yellow green is really good for us we got a diverse group of people so how do we get unified together and then grow up together to the fullness of christ so we can pour out god's love and grace and mercy to everyone we encounter that we literally can live life as though jesus is living through us you know why because Jesus is living through us, right? And so there's this whole picture going, well, how do we do that? And so one of the things that we've been wrestling with is, okay, what does that mean for our church and gathering together? And I'll be honest with you, and keep giving feedback. I love it. I'm proud of you guys. You've been gracious and kind and honest, and there's just a tension we're trying to manage between creating a safe space that people who are going, hey, I want to worship in person, but I also want to guard myself from any danger or any virus or don't want to be a super spreader event agree with you and all those things right and so we're finding on let's be really really cautious here and still want to be cautious but many of you are gone but hey i've gotten my shots I, you know i did those things and i'm ready to engage and hey you sell us coffee or we can get free coffee out in the lobby but when i come into the sanctuary i gotta go pour it out so i'd love to be able to sit in the church service and experience it and not have this mask on forever we hear you and many of us agree. and Many of us disagree. It's okay. We're adults. We're going to be unified as a result. And so what we've decided to do, we talked about it with our staff and elders, and that kind of the conclusion is starting next week, that's May 2nd, the upstairs balcony will be available to you to socially distance without a mask. You can bring in your coffee. You can sit up there, and you can participate in the worship service without a mask on. Downstairs, still a mask. Throughout the building, still a mask. In kid zone, still a mask, Right? But in a place that we can, uh, socially distant, because we have a large space, it's going to be available upstairs. Now, some of the questions are, wait, wait, wait I'm down here. They're up there. They're just going to be spewing all that nastiness over me. Uh, there's a pretty good distance between the front row of the pew and the balcony, and there's actually a, a, a glass guardrail, very similar to what you see at the local you know, gas stations, convenience stores, you know, hardware stores. Right? The other thing is everything in this place, as you're breathing right now, all of it's sucked up through up there. Right? So all of our air returns are up in the balcony all the way up there. So as people are singing, that's going to be going up through the returns. And you know, uh, we were intentional with making sure we got the right filters for this season to make sure that anything that goes through our air filters, all that filters out. It's like a HEPA 16 filter. Okay, So all that's going that way. But that's just the balcony, and that's just for now. We don't know if there's a lot of people that want to do that. If so, we'll figure it out. We don't know where the staircase is leading, just to be honest with you we're on a kind of train ride together which is a lot of fun big big train a lot of people in different spots but this is just an experiment and go we're just going to take the step we'll see what that looks like you got any questions got any concerns reach out love 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 to chat with you about it you can email me personally josh at clcfamily.church text us call us 610-869-2140 so the purpose of this is to go hey we got to figure this out together let's figure out a way to be a unified body, even though we land in different spots. So we even wrestle through, do we use New London Presbyterian Church as a maskless church? Do we go upstairs in an auditorium and we're going, no, we have one family. Let's do this together. So thanks for your grace as we work through all this together in this fun experiment. So that starts next week. Thanks for leaning in and listening to that. By the way, if you want more of an exhaustive theological reason for why we're doing it go check out the clcfamily.church forward slash vision and you can go listen to an extra sermon this week but i think it really is worth your time so if you want to do that great so that is the reason we are doing that really really actually pretty excited to see what god could do in the middle of being in the messy middle with people on all sides loving each other caring for each other supporting each other we get to grow up as a result of this so thanks for that now told you we're in the series called I'm in and literally the whole idea is we are going let's lean in let's lean in and we're going where are we leaning into been talking about it for uh 39 40 weeks now and where we're leaning in is the kingdom of God 92 times in the biographies about Jesus's life Matthew Mark Luke and John that kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven shows up and the big spoiler alert is the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven is not some place you get beamed to when you die the craziest part of that is you and I get to live in the kingdom of God today, right? And so you go, well, how do you do that? And it literally, the scriptures say, well, it comes from faith. This idea that you're leaning fully into Jesus. And faith comes, this is so profound, faith comes from hearing. And hearing comes from the word of Christ. So each week we've been opening up the Bible and going, God, could we just hear your words? Like even today I'm praying, going, God, I don't, I don't care if this is fancy. I don't care if it's good. I don't care if people are impressed. All I really want is your word. In your way to go out. Because in Isaiah 55, it says, just as the precipitation lands and returns and yield that it intended, right? There are many farmers. A lot of the Amish community are celebrated this rain this morning because they know, they know, they know that all the rain comes something. And in Isaiah, the prophet says, just as that happens, that's the same thing that happens when the word of God goes out. It never never returns void. So we've just been reading and going, God, okay, if this is what it looks like, let's figure it out. But the book we've been reading is the Gospel of Luke. Let me just remind you, the Gospel of Luke was written by a real human. His name was Luke. And Luke was a doctor turned investigative journalist. And the reason that he did this is there's this, uh, what we think was a Roman official named Theophilus who goes, hey, I, um, I've looked at a lot of things. I've tried to determine whether I want to find all my hope in the world. Or Caesar, hey, even though I have a good life, affluence, influence, something's off. Something's just not right. And I keep hearing about this guy named Jesus, right? So Theophilus literally hires this guy that's been years, if not a decade, going and doing all the investigation, all the oral, uh, listening to all the oral traditions, reading all the written documents, and going and talking to the eyewitnesses. And he puts together this orderly account, he says, so that we could have certainty of the things we've been taught about the kingdom of God. And what we've seen, seen as we continue to open up the scriptures, is the way that it plays out is first, first you hear about it. Then you think about it, right? So as this goes out, you start to consider. In the scriptures, that word is called repentance, metanoia. It means to have a change of mind and therefore a change of direction, right? So you hear about it, you think about it. And as you think about this and as it comes true in your own life, what happens is so, so crazy. You start to speak about it. You're speaking the word of Christ. That's what I'm doing right now. I'm speaking at it speaking about this, right? And as you speak about it, in a supernatural way, I can't quite explain, but as you open up the scriptures, it seems really, really evident. As we speak about it, it actually is brought about. So when Jesus charges his disciples to go and proclaim the kingdom of God, and bring healing to the people, starts with proclaiming. By the way, as they brought healing to the people, they didn't have any special powers, right? They didn't have that. I mean, they're, they're fishermen. They're not doctors. But So how do they bring healing? doesn't make sense. And yet the scriptures are clear of this. The way by which they bring healing is they actually speak it into existence, which is hard for us to believe, really confusing, but what if it's true? What does that look like? I think it's true, and I think you should look at it. So we've been looking at this whole idea. Now, as we've been doing this, we've gone, okay, we've seen Jesus' plan to bring about the kingdom of God, and you keep saying, Josh, that the kingdom of God is available here and now. But could you tell me what that looks like in 2021? How do you and I really experience the kingdom of God? And so what I shared with you last week is uh, there's this guy named Stephen Addison. He's a missiologist. Uh, he studies mission, right, particularly Christian missions, and he has taken a lot of time and energy to look at the big Christian movements that have happened for the last 2,000 years, starting in the first century with these guys who are being murdered brutally for their belief in God and sharing all they had in common, and he paid attention to that. And he watched through the Reformation, and then he paid attention to even what happened here in the, in the U.S. and Great Britain as it related to Methodism and these movements of churches exploding all over the place. And he kind of said, there are some interesting um, ingredients that all great movements have in common. I'm going, that's what we want. Let's, let's see what the Lord can be up to right now in 2021. And so what he kind of pointed out is there's these five characteristics— that happened in the, uh, in the scriptures, also happened in real kingdom of God living life. That we're going, how do we live it here? And here's the five things. He said, all of these have in common a white hot faith, meaning there really was a moment in your life where you go, I believe Jesus is Lord. You had some kind of encounter that all of a sudden the, 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 the switch flipped on, and you're going, it doesn't, didn't make sense to me. And all of a sudden, it just felt like my eyes were open. This is how you usually talk about that. You actually will say something to me about, hey, I'm so thankful that you teach the Bible this way because I went to church and I never understood these things. So thank you for teaching the Bible this way. And I'm going, oh, that's really nice of you, but I really shouldn't get the credit for that because I have a suspicion that the pastors that you listen to also are teaching the Bible, but our 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 light bulb, our switch just hadn't cut on yet, and so all of a sudden you see this moment where just cut down right and all of a sudden you start to see and go oh i see the kingdom of god in front of me so what happened uh 300 years ago 500 years ago 18 1900 years ago is there's this real supernatural encounter with the spirit of the living god which i think is available to you today so there's just this white hot face and then as a result of that these are folks who are committed to the calls that's one of the things i really struggle with even with wrestling through all the plans for masks. because we use words like out of an abundance of caution here's the problem the gospel is filled with caution. The call that we have in our life to go and declare the good news and meet the needs of people and share and hold everything in common. All of that is definitely with a lot of caution. Probably even considered by most reckless, right? And so there they are folks, a group of people go, I'm all in, and they are committed to the cause. And what's really beautiful you see is there's this, beautiful moment where as a result of having the shared unity right and the shared vision as a result of a diverse group coming together and you see all sorts of different people all nations all tribes all tongues all skin colors right they're they're committed to one another and that that is contagious And so you see a bunch of people go, I want that. I want that kind of community. Wait, are you telling me when that thing happened, people just brought you meals for a month? What? They want that, even if they're not sure about the Jesus thing. Boy, do they want to be loved and cared for. And so throughout history, there's been these contagious relationships. And then the really, really neat thing is there's been this movement of rapid mobilization. I told you last week that the average church planner, pastor in China right now is an 18-year-old female who has less access to the Bible and less Bible knowledge than almost all of us in this room and all of us listening online and yet there's this movement the holy spirit would get into people and they take the gospel everywhere so there's just this movement that just can't be stopped it moves from addition a few more people show up to multiplication where it cannot be contained it doesn't need a steeple or a pew or a you know a sunday school class well those are all great tools but it just moves and it moves and it moves and then finally what you saw and what we talked about last week and we'll see it in the next couple of weeks is adaptive methods This idea that it matters a method, as Thomas Jefferson says, flow like a river, right? Do anything, everything, whatever it takes to get the gospel in people's ears, short of sin, right? And so we we hold tightly to the gospel, hold loosely to our traditions and preferences. And so we're going to see that. But today, 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 we're going to look very specifically about this group that's really, really, really committed to a cause. And so what I want to do here just to kind of prepare you let me give you the big idea and it's not gonna make any sense but and then i'm gonna have you say it out loud and it's still not gonna make any sense so you are going to have to lean in till one o'clock and at one o'clock today it'll make sense you got it that's a joke here's the big idea for today you ready for this big idea different tank different breath different life different death let's pray we're done right no doesn't make any sense but I want you to practice it with me. If you're at home, I want you to say it out loud as well. If you're out in your car, I want you to say it with me as well. So I just want you to say this big idea, right? We're going to speak it out loud. I know it's so strange, and I'm so sorry, but I'm so, so want us to do this. So you can repeat after me a little bit at a time. You ready for this? Different tank. Different breath. Oh, y'all are so good. Different life. Different death. You got it. You got it. We're ready to go. So that's what we're going to look at today. And where we're going to be is Luke chapter 9, beginning of verse 18. Jesus has just fed 5,000 people. And then he sent everybody all the disciples home with a doggy back. So we saw 5,000 men and all the families. So probably 20,000 people. He feeds them. There's leftover And it said they were all satisfied. So they have been doing some hard work and they just had this white hot faith. Moment. Let's see what happens next. Luke 9, verse 18, here's what it says. Now what happened, that as he was praying alone, that's he is Jesus, and praying alone, the disciples were with him, and he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? So a lot going on here. By the way, this is so neat when you read the scriptures, that um, there's always these moments where it says Jesus was praying. and Then you go to the next kind of couple of verses, and something crazy happens. Right? So this is really, really important. That prayer changes things. And I am convinced that if we're going to see a great move of God. Now here's some practical, cute components. You look throughout history. What preceded these white hot faith moments and these committed to a cause, this rapid mobilization. What always precedes it. What always precedes revival. Is prayer and repentance. So I don't know what that means for us. Right, some of you are going, that's my jam, that's my gifting. I wholeheartedly agree, and I'm going, could you help us? Could you help us organize groups to pray? Could you help us walk this whole property and pray? Could you help us go to every disc golf hole and lay your hands on it and go, God, with the people who get here, would they just experience your love and grace? And would they be so open to the gospel? Like, would you help us do those things? Would you help us get some systems around us? Could you help us set it up where we'll leave the building open all day and we, for 24 hours all day long there's someone in here just praying? Right? I know it doesn't make much sense, but none of this makes sense. None of this makes sense, but when you read the scriptures, every time they pray, something Happens, and I don't know what it is that happens. What I tell you all the time is Tim Keller's thought is when you pray, either God's going to answer your prayer in the way you prayed it, or even better, He's going to answer the prayer in the way that you could pray it if you could see as He sees and know as He knows. So you see this moment that He's praying, right? So we got to figure this out. Maybe that's just the nugget for you to go, Yep, that's me. I really, really want to get involved in this. How can I help? We got to pray more. Got to pray more, right? And the disciples were with him, and he asked them, Who do the crowds say that I am? This is really, really important. He asked them a pretty big question. Probably the question that we got to figure out in terms of being committed to a cause. Got to figure this out. Who is Jesus? Not who did your grandmother say Jesus was? Not your Sunday school teacher? Not your spouse? Not your mom or dad? But who is Jesus? for you because that changes everything you see there's this tension that we're gonna to have to manage this tension you know the uh, one of the big beautiful statements about purpose and it says that we should glorify God and enjoy him forever you see that there's this duty there's this responsibility but that duty doesn't come from white knuckling playing hard that duty actually comes from desire Right, so this tension of how do we serve the Lord, but how does Jesus transform our hearts so what comes out of us is what's in us, this natural overflow of the satisfaction we feel with Jesus. So he asked the question, he says, who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered, this is what they said. John the Baptist? Nope, that's wrong. Uh, But others say Elijah, getting wrong. And others, that one of the prophets of old has risen. So he's going, this is pretty interesting, because you know, like he's, these guys are following him, but they're going back to their own home. They still have their own circle of influence, their own oikos, household, as the scriptures tell us. And so he's going, hey, when you're in those kind of things, as you're feeding those 5,000, what were you hearing? What were you hearing? Who do they say that I am? And they go, they got lots of opinions. They think you're something pretty supernatural, right? They think maybe you're the reincarnation of Elijah, or they think you're actually John the Baptist. They don't, some of them didn't know that you know Herod, the teacher cut off his head right uh, others say you know one of the prophets of old so everybody's going hey there's someone who uh we kind of think you're a messenger of god he's not a messenger of god okay he is god big difference and you can kind of look at a lot of different worldviews that will talk about jesus being a good guy if he's not god he's not a good guy he's crazy Right, This is whole C.S. Lewis's liar, lunatic, or lord. He's either a liar, because he said he was God. He is a lunatic, or he is a lord. Now, I'd add another L: legend in there. Maybe this is a make-believe story. But you go back to the first century, and you see the movement that happens as a result of the resurrection. And you go, this is not a made-up story. So he says, who do they say I am? And all of old, who had risen, in verse 20, it says this. Then he said to them, but who do you say I am. Who do you think Jesus is? So so important. Who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, the Christ of God, the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one. Go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. There's this promise that there's an enemy who wants to still kill and destroy your life. And he tells us, but there will be someone of your offspring. That's why we call him the Son of Man come from as a earthly person there'll be this messiah and he will show up and he will come and he will make everything sad untrue he will mend god's broken world and they're going we believe that you're the christ of god this means they believe jesus is god and they believe that jesus is lord not just real candidly i don't have a lot of time to camp here one of the things I think we do a lot is we we kind of parse that out and we separate Jesus God and Messiah and Jesus Lord and boss right that would be like you telling me that hey I really like Josh but I don't like Roberts right like hey like like for I like that but I don't like who you are hey I really like you Josh but I can't stand your family well guess what I don't really want to be around you then Right, if that's how you feel about my wife or <laughs> kids. Like, right now. So it's just this idea that we go, ah, we believe that Jesus one day is our fire insurance and will get us up to heaven one day, but right now I don't really need his help. And as, What we're going to see over and over again is it is impossible to separate those things. Either he is the Christ and he is God and he is Lord, or he is none of those things. There's an A and there's a B. A, are you fully leaning in, completely committed to Jesus it's either, A, hey, you're fully in, or you might want to feel better about it, but the reality is you're actually fully out. This is it. This is not the hokey pokey. This is, can we make a decision about who Jesus is? And then, listen, I'm not trying to scare you, and I'm not going to offer the fear-mongering thing. It's just, we have this really good way of pretending that, you know, that we kind of believe in Jesus, and it's going, well, our whole life should reflect that. And that's not something that you've got to get right. That's not something that you've got to fix and go, oh, I've got to read the Bible more. I've got to give more money. No, 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 no. This isn't something you solve out of your behavior. This isn't something you solve out of your performance. The reality is, if you understand what Jesus did for you, then you understand that your performance is not good enough to get back to God. So when you see Jesus as Savior, that means you can throw away all the checklists and go, I've got to perform to make God happy with me. When you believe that, what you're actually saying is he's actually not the Christ. Because his payment wasn't enough and if you're saying his payment wasn't enough and you got to add to his payment what you're actually saying is God is crazy right because God the father had his own son murdered To pay for your sins. If you go, well, but I need to do these things because I got to kind of pay for them as well. Then, if you think there's some way, some chance that your behavior and performance can somehow get you back to God, then what you're saying, you wouldn't say it out loud, what you're saying is that you didn't really need Jesus to do that work for you. And if Jesus doesn't need to do that work for you, then God murdered his son for no reason. That makes God a sociopath, right? And so we got to look at this and go, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the one who paid for my sin. And out of that, out of that understanding should come this desire to know him more, to be closer to him. And as this desire, as as you hear about this, and Jesus starts to transform your heart, out of the overflow of your heart, guess what's going to happen? As the scriptures say, your mouth is going to speak. And so your decision about this question, who do you say Jesus is, changes everything. It changes everything. It changes everything. So he hears this. Peter makes the declaration. And uh, this one's different. uh, Luke doesn't think it's important that he goes, on that declaration, I'm going to build my church. The gates of hell won't overcome it. Ah, such a good promise. Jesus doesn't need us to build his church. He's got that. He needs us to enjoy him and glorify him forever. And so, But watch what Jesus does here. And he's strictly charged and commanded them. This is verse 21. To tell this to no one what we just talked about it we've been talking about it for months remember you hear about it then you think about it haven't they done those things they literally have heard about it now peter has thought about it right and so he's heard about it and he's thought about it and he says don't speak about it wait i thought we were supposed to speak about it he says hear about it i mean what we been talking about is hear about it think about it speak about it and you bring about it and he goes yep don't tell anybody what's going on here why doesn't he want them to declare it's good news if it's so good? And does that mean we shouldn't tell anyone? Next verse is really, really important. So he says, don't tell anyone, saying. So this is not just a continuation. Verse 22, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. So don't tell anyone because first, Son of man, I'm talking about himself. Whenever you see son of man in the scriptures, that refers to his humanity. The fact that he literally stepped on this planet to, show, to make a way where there's no way, right? Now, when you see son of God, what you see there is that's his divinity. He's, he's both. It's called the hypostatic union, that God is fully man and fully God at all times, right? So when he sees, says son of man, he's talking about himself being in the flesh, the sent one. So he says the son of man, right, I must suffer many things. So the first thing we see is he will suffer. He will suffer. Must suffer many things and be rejected. So he will suffer and be rejected. A couple things. The whole Old Testament points to this. Luke is going to help us see the moments where he suffers and rejected so are the other Gospels. Paul is then going to highlight those things in the Scripture. So is Peter and James and John. They're all going to point out the things that he must suffer first then be rejected got it? And then killed. So he's going, before you can speak about it there's some things that have to happen. First, I'm going to have to be, I'm to have to suffer. You're going to see me suffer. There's going to be real agony. This is important. So that the next time you want to beat yourself up, you got to go, oh, I can't beat myself up. Jesus was actually already beaten up, right? And so he's going to suffer. He's going to be rejected, right? People aren't going to believe this. He's going to be rejected, and then he's actually going to die. Those three things have to happen first. And on the third day, be raised. I love this word, raised, because, you know, he talked about the resurrection, so important, love the resurrection. But this word is so, it's so casual. So he's saying, hey, I want to, I want to be suffering. Oh, no, Jesus, you're going to be, you're going to suffer. Hey, I'm going to be rejected. Oh, Jesus, you're going to be rejected. Oh, no, I'm going to be killed. What? You're going to be killed. And then Jesus goes, and then on the third day, I'll be raised. He's literally, that word there literally means just to get back up. Like he's going, yeah, all these things will happen. I'm going to be brutally beaten. I'm, people are going to scoff at me, spit on me. They're going to put sour wine into my mouth. They're going to, you know, gamble for my clothes. It's going to be horrific. And they, you got to imagine, they're devastated. And he said, and then I'll just get back up. That word razor literally means like you've been asleep and you're just hopping up out of the bed in the morning. That is, it was like these are some really profound, scary things. And he goes, oh, yeah, then I'm going to be raised from the dead. And I didn't even say dead. Third day be raised. And so it's all sorts of confusing. The thing I want to point out here is that's why this is different for us than it was for them. They have heard about it and they have thought about it, but the resurrection hasn't happened yet. So Jesus is going, now... You're going to have some news, right? This is what's so crazy. He tells them not to say anything. I don't, they probably will whisper it because that's just human nature. You see it throughout the scriptures. Don't tell anybody, and then they go tell people. But then you see when Mary arrives at the tomb, the angels say, go and tell them, right? So there's this mandate post-resurrection that you're supposed to go and tell this good news. So when you weren't supposed to, they did. And when they were supposed to, they didn't. You know what that's like, right? And so, so in this moment, what we see is Jesus going, hey, all this stuff's going to happen. I want you to hear about it. I want you to think about it. And then there's going to be this moment. I'll call it an ignition switch that I'm going to change the whole world. I'm going to be raised from the dead. And then he tells them, spend some time with them and he goes, and then what you're going to do, I don't want you to tell anybody yet. He tells us in Acts chapter one, verse uh, eight, six through eight, this really, really beautiful passage. And he says, hey, hey, I want you to stay here right now and wait. And then you'll receive my spirit and my power. And then you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea. Samaria, the outermost parts of the world. So he says, hey, there's going to be this moment where there's going to be this detonation switch. And all this brokenness with this slow creep to a massive plunge, we're experiencing it in our culture, right? All of a sudden, all that's going to get reversed. And it's going to get reversed because I am going to be raised from the dead. And that same power, you just sang it, that you know, was raised from the dead, that conquered the grave, now lives in us. So the reason it's different for us is because we are walking." and the resurrection power of Jesus. You might not believe it, but if you have called Jesus Lord and you have surrendered your life and it's all about your duty and desire to enjoy him forever and glorify him, you have the spirit of the living God in you go, I don't feel like I have the spirit of the living God. Right? Let me just make a real quick observation. If you have a car that has 400, 500, 600 horsepower, you don't experience that either sitting in your garage when do you experience it? When you're out on the road pressing the gas, right? So the best way to actually experience this kind of power, and in fact the only way you really will experience this kind of power is actually to get it on the road and use it. You got it? And so he said, I'm going to be raised. That's not for them yet. They have to wait. We don't have to wait. That's good because we're an impatient society. You can go participate in this today. In fact, you can text about how great God is right this second. I wouldn't recommend it because I'm going to move pretty fast with the rest of this, but you can, right? And he said to all, if anyone, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. This is really, really interesting. Um, In, in Hebrew literature, whenever you got a paragraph, like when you have, usually, you know, like when we write, you know, an essay, we kind of, do the introduction and then we have that thesis statement towards the end of the paragraph there's this declaration statement and then it works the next three four or five paragraphs to explain it in hebrew literature the way that it works is um in the front of the paragraph there is a big bold statement big bold statement And then out of the result of the big, bold statement, the next two, three, four uh, sentences all go to offer more insight to the big, bold statement, right? So first one is the big, bold statement, and then there's some extra verses that actually offer extra words that point to and give evidence for that big, bold statement. So this is the big, bold statement. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. So he goes, you want in? You want in. You want in. Here's the big, bold statement. You want in. you got to lean all the way in. And what do you do when you lean in? Lots of things. First, you deny yourself. You make it not about your pleasure, not about your performance. It's no longer about you, but it's about the kingdom inside of you. Right? You flip the switch, and your life is no longer about you. Now, at first glance, that is a terrible, terrible thing. Because you're going, no, it's always been about me. But as you continue to look at this, This is actually a really good thing because your best life, the way that you use all the horsepower, the way that you enjoy how you're designed, all happens with leaning in and doing it. At Harvest Church, we were working on a new series about how to be generous people, and we coined this when I was there back in Montana years ago. We made this new word up. It's called selflessness. Selflessness. The idea of being selfless, actually not that you're going to be selfish about it's actually good for you. And here's how we define Selflessness the art of getting what you really want by giving up what you already have right so there's something about this idea that he goes hey you want in you got to take up your cross uh, come after me let him deny himself so this is no longer about you this is no longer about your pleasure no this isn't like sadistic this isn't like you got to punish yourself this isn't about you paying penance This is about the things that you thought would be the things that would bring you pleasure and hope and joy aren't actually those things. And the older you get, the more you know those things. So you just go and start and go. It's not about those things. It's not about those things. So he goes, and deny himself and take up his cross. That word literally means to put things to death. So you got to put to death the things that don't actually fulfill you, that you thought would fulfill you, that resume, that job, that house, that spouse, whatever those things are, those kids, those things you think those are the thing. Now, I just said you got to put them to death. I'm not talking literally there, right? You don't have to actually put your kids or spouse to death. I would not recommend that. It would not be appropriate, and boy, would it make a mess for the rest of us, right? So please don't do that, but this idea that you would not put your hope in those things, that you would nail those things to the cross and go, no, those things don't satisfy they cannot fulfill me and even if they could they definitely cannot forgive me when I fail them right and so he goes you got to take it up so that's the big bold statement and see what it says there daily really really important daily meaning this is a hard battle every day you got to get up and go it's not those things I cannot find my joy my peace my hope in the world cannot find those things it is not those things daily daily because this implies that it is going to be a battle for us forever this makes sense to us right the minute that the holy spirit comes and lives in us he inserts his divinity in us but we're still broken flawed people so inside of us steel is our humanity so those things where you're going why do i keep messing up i want to do the right thing and i can't do the right thing that actually is an indication that something's going on in you with the holy spirit if you go i don't care at all doesn't matter to me let's just eat drink and be merry whatever it is That's an indication that the Holy Spirit probably isn't at work in your life. If you struggle with doing the right thing versus the wrong thing, and you are cognitively aware of it, you should celebrate that. Because that means God's humanity is probably in you. Definitely in you. And it's, I mean, God's divinity is now at war in your own life with your own humanity. So Jesus goes, this is a daily battle. that You've got to get up in the morning and go, Holy Spirit, I want your divinity to live in me, and I want to starve my flesh and my own humanity. Got it? So I told you that in, the, in Hebrew literature, a lot of times the big sentence up front, and then now the rest of them are kind of going to point towards that. So that's confusing. Take them across, follow me daily. And so he's going to then help us understand some more, and I think this will be helpful. Verse 24, for whoever, it's really neat. That means all of us. The word whoever is really, really gracious. That means this is an all-inclusive, anyone who hears these things and decides on it, you're included in this whoever. Meaning, this is available to you today. That's all of us. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Got it? So this this is really complicated. Let me help you with it. So he says, whoever wants to try to save his own life with your own merit will actually lose it. But whoever loses their life, right? So if you want to try to save it yourself... Then you'll lose it, and then your life will be in crumble. So whoever tries to do this performance thing, find their own pleasure and their own joy, so he's going, hey, the reason you should take up your cross and follow me, because the, the alternative, B, is that you actually try to earn all this on your own. And let me just ask you, how's that working out for you? Right? This is exhausting, and we become fake and Alienated. So he's going to look. As you try to earn it all on your own. What's going to end up happening is you're going to make an idol or a god. Of that one thing that you've convinced yourself is the thing. That makes you valuable. So you see people really, really consumed with their job. Or by the way, really, really consumed with their children. Are really, really consumed with their things. Or their reputation. And he goes, look. If you're going to try to save your whole life by doing this right so if your goal is to save it all then what's going to actually happen this is a promise you actually lose it really really important that word save means exactly what you think it is it means to be delivered out of danger into safety right the word lose actually implies permanent destruction so um when we saw a few weeks back and i pointed to this verse as a result when the uh, the the disciples were on the boat right and they freak out because there's this big storm and jesus is asleep and they go and get him and they go help us save us because we are perishing the word they are using there for perishing so they know this word the ones that they used out loud towards jesus is now the one he's using back at them for lose. so whoever tries to save your own life will lose it it will perish that is a promise you want to lose your life, meaning you just acknowledge that your pleasures, your desires, you just surrender them and go, Those things are all perishing. That is all flesh. That is all humanity. Those of you who start with that actually have this in your life. But the really, really important part, and I think this will make sense. That's why I love that these words keep explaining it. Is that word life there? Is the Greek word suke. Okay? Really, really interesting. This doesn't mean a body. This is actually the word that we get for psychology your psyche. That word there, let me just read you the definition, literally means to breathe or to blow. The word means breath. The word means breath, meaning the way that you find life is you have to determine what's filling your lungs. So they would have understood this. I think many of you understand it. When God initiates this whole thing, invites the whole world into existence, he speaks it, and then he forms Adam out of dust. And he is dead. He's laying there, fully grown man, I don't know, 20s, laying there completely naked and completely dead. Before Adam ever lived, he was dead. And then how does he get life? God breathed it into existence. So he's going, the way by which you save your whole existence has to do with breath, right what are you breathing in like so let me let me help you understand this so what he's saying let me just read the next verse actually and then i'll get to it verse 25 then he goes for what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits his soul so he's going here's the problem you got some people right Theophilus looking into caesar and going well he's got lots of things let me give you some examples steve jobs did pretty well and he still died Jeff Bezos just tripled his you know, wealth after having a divorce and giving up half of it in the last year, right? In the worldly sense, this guy has whatever he wants. He's buying up huge millions, hundreds of millions dollars of real estate, and it's like you spending a dollar for a candy bar at 7-Eleven. Right? So we look at and go, ah, it's so good. It's so good. He has such a good life. And Jesus is going, but here's the problem. What good does it do to profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses, perishes, or forfeits himself? Right? In other words, there might be some things towards a worldly standards that, ah, you go, that'd be a lot easier if I had a lot more money, had a new job, had all those things. And guess what? At times, your life may be easier. In fact, this would make sense to me because, this is exactly what the enemy would want for you if Jeff Bezos can keep making money keep doing those things for the rest of his life and be so distracted by what he's breathing into his lungs that he never understands or surrenders himself to the lordship of Jesus the enemy would love that wouldn't attack him he just let it be so jesus is going hey for some of you you're already experiencing this pain and you're turning on yep i got to stop breathing that for others of you boy are you breathing good right now and he's going but what good does it do if you gain the whole world and yet you forfeit yourself in other words he's going look look here's your options here's your options you got stuff you got to breathe and you got to decide what you're actually feeling into your lungs so this whole idea going got a decision. This breath, this life, where is your tank connected? What is your mass connected to? Different tank, different breath, different life, different death. So when you see this suitcase going, hey, what good would it be to do to breathe in all that stuff, whether it's good or bad for you, and at the end of it, realize that it's not enough to sustain you. Just so he's going, the way you want in, here's what you do. You actually got to attach yourself to a different tank, right? It's Jesus' breath. By the way, you know what that's called in the scriptures? The Holy Spirit. It's Jesus' breath, the Spirit that you breathe in. And by the way, psychologists and counselors know these things in terms of breath. One of the best things you can do when you're anxious or overwhelmed, one of the best things you can do in your life, Let's just take deep breaths. Which, by the way, really interesting what our world looks like right now. And how hard it is to breathe. Complicated, yes, it is. its this. has got to breathe in deep God's love. So he's going, what, what good does it do to gain the whole world and lose yourself? And then he says in verse 26, for whoever is ashamed of me and my words, whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father. And you see that last part? In the glory of the of the holy angels. Let me read it again. Verse 26. Forever is ashamed of me. That word ashamed there, really, really important. It means uh, disgraced. But it means disgrace as it relates to attaching yourself to the wrong thing. Right? Some of you have done this. You dated the wrong person. Your parents told you you shouldn't. Your grandparents did. Your friends did. And you did it anyway. And then at the end of it, you have that feeling of oh man, the very thing I thought would make me feel more worth actually makes me feel worth less. You know, I'm talking about that, that, that feeling. That's what that means in this a, a shame piece. So he's going, hey, for those of you who have started breathing in from the world's oxygen tank, started breathing in that stuff, and you get to the point where you are suffocating. He says, whoever's ashamed of me who's been disgraced by their own choices by wrongly identifying with something. Right? This is why Paul says, whoever I'm Uh, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, meaning I am not disconnecting myself from its life source. So this is something about going, what are you breathing into your life? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words. Who's not allowing those things to fill your lungs, right? Whoever is that, they're going to be disgraced because they were disconnected to the wrong thing. And then Jesus says this, of him will the son of man, of him will the son of man be ashamed when he comes in his glory in the glory of the father and of the holy angels so terrible he goes hey, hey you gotta make a decision so you can breathe in my words you can breathe in my spirit you can allow your flesh to be suffocated you can stop putting your hope into those things and a really good easy way to figure out if you're doing it is just look at your calendar and look at your checkbook for the or whatever it's called a debit card right Then you just look at those things and go where am i putting my time and my energy and my money and look at all the things you had stored in boxes and garages and go why am i breathe deep this world's you know mess and now I just feel suffocated right and so he goes hey for those of you who have done that whoever's ashamed of me in my words I will be disgraced because I tried to connect myself to you and you refused to be connected to me So going, the whole idea of disgrace is not it being connected to the wrong thing and so Jesus is going look I, I came down I made myself available and you and you chose the other thing and I will be ashamed with sadness and pain for you. This is so important. That's why I tell you that gee, God doesn't send people to hell. The reality is if you spend your whole life one nothing to do with God, you'll get that. You'll get your wish. But it's actually even more complicated because the world, because of the brokenness, in it, hear me, hear me, the brokenness in it, we are all on a train heading towards damnation and pain and sorrow and we will forfeit ourselves. So this idea that God is sending us there, no, 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 you and I and the people before us, we're the ones who set the destination for the train, and we are all on it, which makes God really, really gracious because Jesus steps down and goes, let me give you another train that's bound for glory. You got the song, right? Yeah, train, let me, let me offer that to you. And Jesus goes, for those of you who are ashamed to get on my train, for those of you who are ashamed to breathe my breath, I'm just going to be ashamed of you because I'm going to watch you. Just ride straight into destruction. Glory of the Father and the holy angels. Verse 27 says this, but I tell you, truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. So he's pointing to two things you'll hear about next week, uh, the transfiguration, that they're literally going to see Jesus in all of his glory next week, a few of them, Peter, James, and John. So he's he's pointing that out. But I think he's pointing out something bigger, and this is what I going to offer you. But I truly tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. What he's saying is, if you start to breathe this in, and if you start to breathe deep, my love and my grace and my peace, my joy, right? Just breathe it in. What you're going to start to see around you, as you calm down, as your pupils, you know, get back to the normal... And, size, and as you start to look around, guess what you'll see? From my spirit is inside you. You will see what I see. So you will see the kingdom of God. So I think this promise is actually for you. Going, you will not taste death before you see the kingdom of God. In other words, there is a different tank you can breathe in. And in that different tank, it's a different breath. It's God's breath. And in that different god's breath there is a different life meaning this kingdom of god is not something you got to wait for you can start breathing this in and inviting his spirit to breathe into you and as you do it you'll start to see the kingdom of god a double dog dairy to try it start to see the kingdom of god and he's going hey you think that all that happens at death i'm telling you for some of you you're going to see the kingdom of god long before you taste death like that is what's available to you and here's the crazy thing not only is it a different life where you see the kingdom of god it's a different death not just for you, but for all your family and friends. Because they get to celebrate that your train that you were on led you straight to the feet of Jesus himself. There's a different death. There's a different understanding. So as I thought about this going, God, I just want you you, to speak this over us. God, when we start breathing this in, when we do a fearless moral inventory of trying to figure out the places where we're breathing out of the wrong tank and God would you suffocate those things in our life but as you do that would we breathe in your spirit and then as we breathe in your spirit would we also breathe it out into the world around us and the Lord led me uh, through a couple of different circumstances this week back to an Old Testament passage in, in Ezekiel and Ezekiel was a prophet and really like what he had to say because he was talking to a nation that God loved that God had good plans for he was talking to him and uh Yet they kept breathing in out of the wrong tank. They kept breathing in Babylon. They kept breathing in the broken culture. They kept putting their hope and people and stuff. You know what that's like? You know what that world looks like? And Ezekiel kind of showed up and goes, this will not go well for you. But he promised that there would be a a savior that would come, a new David. But as he's promising these things, what happens in their real culture in those moments is Jerusalem, the capital, gets taken over and destroyed by Babylon. And they're devastated going, what has happened to our nation? What's happened to our people? Why are people so broken and mean and evil? Like, know what that's like, right? What has happened? This isn't the nation I thought it was. This isn't the world I thought it was. What is going on, right? And so Ezekiel is placed in a spot to speak over that nation. Speak it, right? And God gives him this, this declaration where he gets to speak it to his people and they become new people and guess what happens their hard hearts are removed and guess what comes in his place a new heart and it happens by a spirit and so the way by which this plays out is ezekiel actually declares it and so i just want to read to you what he's declaring to them because i think it's the same thing for us today and i'm gonna read it in its entirety won't make much comments we'll let god's word do what only god's word can do this is what Ezekiel said. The hand of the Lord was upon me, verse uh, 1, uh, 37, 1. He brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones, broken death and destruction. And he led me around among them. And behold, they were very many on the surface of the valley. And behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, son of man, right? That's just a reference to the Old Testament to humanity. When Jesus calls he he's still referencing that, but that just means a human on the wrong train, Right? Uh, son of man can these bones live is it possible that there could be life that comes from it and i answered oh lord oh lord you know and i answered oh lord god you know then he said to me listen this prophesy over these bones and say to them speak it right say to them oh dry bones oh dry bones oh nation hear the word of the lord thus says the lord god to these bones behold I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live, right? like so I'm going to breathe into you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinus upon you, so tendons, ligaments, right, upon you, and, your, and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you, and you shall live, right? And you shall know that I'm the Lord. The way that dry bones live is breath. thus say the lord of god come from the four winds O breathe O breathe on these slain that they may live holy spirit would you breathe so that we may live so i prophesied as he commanded me and that breath came into them and they lived and stood on their feet an exceedingly great army they were all in Then he said to them, Son of man, these bones are the house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up, and our hope is lost, and we are indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will open up your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel. You will see the kingdom, and you shall know that I am the Lord. When I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will put my spirit within you. You will breathe in my spirit. And you shall live, and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it, declares the Lord. So a dead nation, completely broken. And what does he do? He speaks life back into it. He proclaims the good news and the Holy Spirit, breathes into his people. Why can't he do that now with us? Think he loves our nation? You think he loves our people? You think his spirit wants to do a great work? So where does it start? We hear about it. We think about it. And we get to speak about it. So what's going to happen is the band's going to come up here. And the song is called Wake Up. And some beautiful things are about to happen. Two things actually. One, you're going to get to speak this over your own life, right? But you're also going to get to speak it over the lives of. It. So we're going to declare that the Holy Spirit can come into us and we can wake up. We can wake up. And so if you're online or in your car, would you crank up the volume a little more? And would you breathe in these words? Would you breathe in these words and would you just proclaim this? Or would you sing it over your own soul and over your own lungs? It's his breath. Would you declare these things? And if you're not ready to sing this, would you just, just pause and breathe deep? This prophecy that the Lord wants to speak into you, would you just allow it to happen? I know it's strange. But you see it happen with the dead bones. Why couldn't he do it in our world, in our life, with lungs that have capacity to breathe this in? So they're going to lead us. And I just would implore you to start speaking these things in your life and your family and over our church. So this is the time that you proclaim these things out loud. This is the time. We, this is the reason we gather. So we can proclaim God's word in this way. So would you stand with me as we sing this song?
1: Stand up all you dreamers
2: today, tomorrow, and every day that we rise and every day that we go to sleep. Thank you guys so much for being here. Really glad to have you here. I will see you here this time, same time next week, but have a great week.